welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are continuing our Slam Dance 2021 coverage with a uh, topic I'm really excited to talk about. It's always good when we get to see LGBTQ docs on because uh, I, I like to cover LGBTQ history. And uh, also, there's so much going on with uh, your uh, career as, as, uh, in the present. And um, we are so excited. We have a film called Workhorse Queen. We have uh, the director of the film, Angela Washko. And, of course, we're very delighted to welcome the star. We have Miss Kasha Davis. You may know her from... Uh, her appearance on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 7. Uh, thank you both for coming on. Do you want to tell us a little about yourself? Sure, I can start. Um, yeah, I'm Angela Washko, and I'm a new media artist. I often make narrative works in uh, video games, experimental video art, and performance art. And this is my first feature-length documentary film, uh, all my work sort of focuses on the the impact of mainstream media on gender and sexuality. So that's me. And I am Mrs. Kasha Davis, a.k.a. Ed Popel, who lives in Rochester, New York, formerly a telemarketing director and now a full-time drag queen. So well, one of the things that really first... Uh, it sort of excited me as I'm watching the film. I my college roommate at uh, I went to Boston College. My college roommate is from Rochester, and I've passed by the area about a billion times on my way to Toronto. So I'm I'm really familiar with with Rochester and, and upstate New York. And then when when I when I found out that you're a, a full time drag queen working in Rochester, I'm like, boy, that that's that's a really you don't you don't hear that every day. <laughs> <laughs> well. The main reason why I can do that is uh, because of my darling husband, Mr. Davis, you know, hashtag teamwork, uh, but also the fact that I had the opportunity to have the platform of RuPaul's Drag Race. And, you know, one of the exciting things, we had a uh, longtime listeners will uh, know that we had, uh, there was a, a drag queen documentary from last uh, Slam Dance, Slam Dance 2020, called Queen of the Capital. We had uh, Josh Davidsberg and Muffy Blake Stevens on. And one of the things that I've always been kind of interested in in, in watching drag queen uh, films and reading about drag culture is is kind of the the effect that that RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race has had on the industry. And you're somebody who's been a drag queen for a long time. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of just the the way that 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 show kind of really changed everything for for your world? Well, certainly for my life, it changed uh, really the direction of. Of, of everything. Prior to RuPaul's Drag Race, for me, what I considered uh, a successful drag career, and still do, is uh, someone who is doing, you know, cabaret work. And, uh, you know, we talk about Coco Peru and Miss Richfield 1981 and Varla Jean Merman, Dina Martina. These are legendary individuals uh, that I looked at as having that full-time career and it was a cabaret type style. RuPaul's Drag Race threw drag into the mainstream. And what does that mean? Well, that means I think a lot of things and Angela is very passionate about exploring this uh, kind of subject and uh, what it means for the drag community, but what it also means for the, the individual. It changed my life because I was uh, felt I could then explore the idea of making it a full-time career uh, because of the 
because of the exposure and because of that opportunity. Um, but I think as we find out in Workhorse Queen, it launches me into some perspectives in terms of, you know, what it is that, uh, what I actually have here at home. So uh, I don't know if that answered the question exactly, but <laughs> that's sort Definitely. of my perspective. What, um, and, uh, the, well, I guess this is a question for both of you, but um, Angela, to, to start off, what, what drew you to uh, the world of drag and then also to uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis as well? Yeah, I mean, I've been interested in drag for a long time. I've explored drag in my own artwork, um, especially when I was younger. Um, got introduced to drag in the early 2000s in Philadelphia, but I came back to an interest in drag around the time of the 2016 election. I really started thinking about how is the, the possibility of the election of Donald Trump going to impact the representation of queer people and queer performance um, in, in mainstream media? Will, will drag race still exist in a, a post Donald Trump media landscape um, and, and started rewatching the show over and over and over again and found myself really struck by uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis's presence on the show as this kind of very, very specific kind of persona kind of based in, in the home as this domestic homage to uh, you know, women of the, the 50s and 60s who are kind of confined to the home doing domestic labor and, and thinking about what it means for a drag queen to take this on and, and celebrate it and, and that it was also an homage to his own mother, which, which never really got explored in the show. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up being interested in thinking about drag race as a, as a, as a topic and, and specifically Mrs. Kasha Davis and, and how drag race has impacted, you know, Ed Popel's life and, and career, uh, as well as what it's done to transform local drag communities and, and what happens to the, the Queens who've been at, you know, at being prolific performers for, for 30 years who are also sending audition tapes every single year to be on the show and not getting that recognition and, and what it means for, for themselves, what it means for their legacies and, and wanting to highlight all of the, you know, the amazing performers that have paved the way for this younger generation. That's, you know, having this opportunity to pursue a full-time career in drag as a result of reality television. Yeah, I, th I think that's a dynamic that uh, you explored really well, particularly with uh, regard to uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis's uh, audition tapes. And it is kind of like the the, the striking uh, we talk about on this show all the time, uh, especially when we get to kind of dive into LGBTQ history. But the the um, when we're dealing with with uh, films that that talk about uh, uh, subjects who have been out in the community for so long and. We see, like, you know, the, the LGBT community has had such radical change in terms of mainstream and acceptability over the past couple of years. And it's kind of this big open question that you, uh, in the film, touch on, uh, particularly with a, a scene of a panel from Drag Con. But the, you know, what happens to our community when everything becomes normalized? 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Ed, you you had um, such thoughtful. I really loved uh, watching that panel. I, I felt like it was such a great opportunity as you know somebody working on this film. It was kind of the the perfect panel to witness because I do feel like the the some of the biggest concerns of the film were discussed in that panel. I mean, the whole <laughs> the whole hour long panel could have been <laughs> in the film. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you want to touch on you know some of the. Um, yeah, the, the difference between maybe Hecklina and James St. James and, and Sister Roma's uh, perspectives being performers who are based in major cities and performers who maybe feel like the mainstreaming of drag has taken out some of the subversiveness of it. I mean, I think there's something very subversive to what Mrs. Kasha Davis and the Rochester Queens do in a, a community that, you know, is, is a smaller city. It's closer to maybe suburban America, people that may not be um, as familiar with drag or, you know, potentially have, have uh, oppressive views. And, you know, Mrs. Kasha Davis, along with, you know, Aggie Dune, they're, they're out there really trying to build bridges, um, yeah, to, to people who, who might not share their, their perspectives. And I think especially, you know, when we're looking at how polarized things are right now, having, (laughs) being willing to do that work is, is really important and subversive in its own right. So I don't know if you want to touch on that at all. Uh, sure. Well, I definitely think that, uh, obviously drag race has, thrown things into the mainstream and there is a perspective as was mentioned from our uh, fellow panelists in that scene where uh, it was met with frustration and um, and sort of a mourning of a time I think that was very very special and very important to our history and as well as to their individual experiences that being said Sometimes I believe that, uh, you know, I'm an older uh, gal myself and uh, technology, as was mentioned at the beginning of, the, uh, of our, uh, our call today, you know, technology can be frustrating. And the idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, th- it's, it's becoming something that's on, you know, streaming platforms, television, social media, and it is ruining, you know, uh, the, our opportunity to make it special. And I'm not exactly sure I agree with that. I think that what's special is just that Aggie Dune and I, when we first met, we were so excited to be able to bring drag to, you know, a party house in the suburbs of Rochester, where the majority of our audience were, uh, you know, middle-aged to old parents and grandparents and primarily straight. And so they were sitting and watching this show and uh, maybe their eyes were opened up to their son or daughter or, or grandchild in a different way. And maybe these types of uh, performances and appearances can help to uh, open eyes. And sometimes that is helpful when it becomes mainstream because the conversations are still challenging. The conversations are still emotional. The, the, the situations at home still remain, uh, I think, 
I know, as we all do, difficult. And um, by helping to you know position some of these topics and and stories mainstream, I think it it helps to open that conversation. So I think that uh, I'm I'm excited that that's happening because as a child, I remember there were no examples of any life that I was looking to lead other than uh, people on television who were quote unquote considered artsy fartsy light in the loafers. What does that mean? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I don't know what that means. And, and they and they would say, you're, you, Oh, you're like Liberace. Well, I hope so. He's fabulous. <laughs> you know, but I, I didn't know what, what did that mean? You know, he had a fur coat and, and a bunch of rings, but what, what, you know, why am I like him? Mom, dad, grandma. And, um, and so now we have, we, we, we are more honest about it because, as I mentioned, it, oftentimes growing up, Liberace, Barry Manilow, uh, Elton John, they were all straight people. And I was like, really? <laughs> 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 you know, and so as a child, it's so important just to have a perspective of like, OK, a little bit of this person, a little bit of that person. And our mainstream uh, exposure is helping to mold those those, you know, landscapes for people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot about kind of the power of drag, uh, especially back then, but I mean, especially now, like, I have to kind of remind people a lot when they say like, oh, transgender visibility, transgender rights has have, have arrived and all of that. And I could say like, I mean, I literally, before we hopped on, I was reading news about there's a, uh, there was a bill in Southern Montana or South Dakota about uh, people just wanting to limit, uh, limit transgender people's ability to change their birth certificate, something that literally you can't really make a case harm to anyone, uh, let like uh, you know, let alone all the other things. And I think about you know, I have to remind people that seventy million. Uh, there's still a lot of people who really had no problem with Trump or anything like that. And especially for somebody like you in Rochester, you when you were starting off in your career in drag, you uh, were having to do a hell of a lot more bridge building that, than you probably have to do now. But you still also probably have to do a fair degree of that. You're always going to be performing in a room where somebody it's somebody's first time in an event like that and as a host especially you know it's it's your job to kind of radiate the warm energy to, to welcome everybody in but you know you never really especially as a host lose that kind of sense of the, the need to to reach out and, and and bring people in yeah as a witness to um so many events that mrs kasha davis is doing uh in rochester and elsewhere in rochester i was really struck Going to the drag brunch, you know, they they asked the crowd, how many of you are, are seeing drag for the first time? And it was probably half of the room. Um, and the other half were diehard fans that, that have been going to their brunches for years and years and years. Yes. Oh, and isn't that fun? I mean, first and foremost, as a host and as a performer, when we ask the question, we feel great that we're still able to continue to bring a new crowd in. But then we're, we also think, oh, goodness, we could do the same jokes again. Uh, <laughs> but, but, then, but then, as you mentioned, you know, there are some rules and some guidelines. Anytime we're at a show, uh, people, you know, uh, oftentimes drinking is involved. And the next thing they, they, they want to ask questions and, and touch, touch you. And, you know, as a host, we have to have sort of that guideline. And, and there's, it's, part, it's partly an education of uh, what's acceptable and, and what isn't. But I can say that there have been tons of times when people were so grateful uh, to have 
been at a show because they can think about seeing their loved one differently at home. And I say loved one because it could be a, a child, a grandchild, a, a niece, a nephew. And they think, well, this was great. I mean, you, oh, wow, you are real nice people. I'm like, well, I don't know about nice, but we're real people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's, that's the magic of drag. And isn't it funny sometimes with drag specifically, you exaggerate uh, something about yourself that you are either, for me, for instance, it's something that I suppressed my feminine side. I'm exaggerating it to show you the real me. Isn't that interesting? I'm exaggerating something else that I don't necessarily portray on a daily basis to show you my most genuine self. Yeah, I mean, that is the the kind of contrast. Drag is a celebration. Uh, drag is also in a lot of ways uh, like an, an act of protest. And especially, I mean, uh, as Angela was mentioning in, in, in toward the beginning with, uh, you know, it's such a jarring contrast. Trump gets elected. RuPaul is... I, I think probably the biggest reality show in the world at that time. It, uh, you know, it's, it still could uh, very well could be. And it's, it's all of that, that idea of, of, you know, what the, 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 through the, through the performative uh, sort of exuberance, you know, you're, you're, you're getting at a core of, of who you are and sort of your place in the world, which is something that workhorse queen uh, is, is fascinating about uh, on, on another front because it's not just about RuPaul. It's, it's really about you and, and how you, uh, you know, your, your life story and about how you came not only into this character, but how you met your husband, uh, your stepchildren, all of that. And it's a, it's a very touching story. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm, I, I, I'm so humbled that Angela thought, I think I want to, you know, explore this particular individual's story and uh, even consider doing this uh, documentary. And uh, if I look back to when I first began, it was always very important to celebrate my ancestry of my mother and my grandmother and, uh, and emulate their character to a degree as Mrs. Kasha Davis. But also, you know, I remember early on, I, I just wanted to tell my story. And when I first started doing a show uh, that's called There's Always Time for a Cocktail, which is my life story on stage. I remember one of my fellow performers, Mimi, I'm first said, girl, you know, you might want to let the world get to know you before you tell them their story. They don't even know who you are. And I thought, oh, well, what, what does that mean? But, you know, it's such a, a gift to be able to have uh, a, a perspective and a story being told like this through Angela's eyes. So I'm always very humbled and grateful. Yee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I, you know, I have a question, kind of about because um, there's there's a lot of great strands in in the sense that um, I mean, drag drag is still I mean, the beauty of drag is it's been around for a very very long time, and yet it's still evolving in so many ways, and it it that that's kind of you know it's it's always going to be kind of a a, a moving thing in, in in that regard, but. You know, there is there is also just a, the kind of contrast of you know there's the drag that that Miss, Mrs. Kasha Davis is uh, embodying that that in, in the you know I, I think as as RuPaul as as Drag Race has grown uh, you, you know they they've had a couple instances where they've really kind of grappled on you know uh, sort of an inclusive message and about how how servicing all sorts of various aspects of the uh, drag community whether it's uh, older performers or trans performers or whatnot and you know to be able to take that and then also 
you know, uh, combine it with all of the other elements of uh, Ms. Mrs. Katja Davis's story, uh, it must have been kind of a challenge. It's always it's always very hard. We have a lot of documentary uh, filmmakers on this show, and I'm always kind of marvelled by how you take some you take so not only uh, somebody's life work, but also very complex ideas. And it's like, okay, let's squeeze this into a 90 minute runtime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I will say it's a a complex story it's a complex field i think on the one hand you know i do feel critical of you know the the trans exclusionary issues of the show the um yeah the the way that older queens have been portrayed um the only very, very recently embracing non-binary performers. Uh, there have certainly been no drag kings. Um, so yeah, that's if we're thinking about what is the 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 future landscape that we want to see in terms of the representation of queerness in in media. You know, since RuPaul's Drag Race has kind of the the most visible mainstream platform. Uh, for drag, wouldn't you want to be, you know, an example of the amazing possibilities and, and pushing things forward? Um, but at the, you know, at the same time, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, isn't it amazing that there have been so many drag queens who've been able to leverage a, a full-time entertainment career as a result of, of this one reality television show? I, you know, I don't know that a single reality television show should have that much pressure on it, but it, it does. So, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I just felt so struck by how much more there was to what Mrs. Kasha Davis was doing as a performer and to, you know, Ed's experiences than were able to be shown on the narrative of RuPaul's Drag Race. And so, you know, I've been excited to be able to to even just witness uh, Imagination Station, the show that Mrs. Kasha Davis does for, for kids, a sort of variety theater show in Rochester. Um, you know, just being able to be there and seeing how these, these kids react to Mrs. Kasha Davis, um, is amazing. And then also just getting to spend time with somebody who experienced, you know, not being able to come out until he was 30, you know, living in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania and, and seeing Rochester as this kind of dream, dream place, uh, yeah. you know, of openness and, um, and possibility and, and really getting to look at the, the Rochester community, which, you know, has had three queens who've been on RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, San Francisco and Philadelphia have not had that many queens on the show. So, you know, also what's going on in Rochester <laughs> and how has Rochester become this kind of amazing uh, treasure of, of drag performance? So, you know, I, I, I just, I, as a, you know, an artist felt kind of overwhelmed with the, the amount of, of, possible stories there were in, uh, you know, every time I would, I would go to, to shoot and kind of rethink, um, you know, how to, yeah, what, what stories to prioritize, who to include. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. Do you have, do you have time to cover Imagination Station real quick? 
Sure. Yeah, I, uh, you know, as a, as longtime listeners who know that uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is uh, a big, uh, I've, I've been hired to do freelance articles on it because I know the history really well, and I uh, really love Mr. Rogers. And not only that, but I just love the formula and because it's so sort of uh, calm and quiet, and to, to kind of introduce drag into that is, is, is kind of beautiful, and it also is a great way to... You know, show the world, especially. I mean, we see every couple of months the news article, the far right media is, oh, they're, they're trying to, you know, the drag queens are trying to infiltrate the libraries. It's like, give me a break, dude. Have you seen, <laughs> right. like, a, have you seen a, what a library could show? Like, it's, it's perfectly, it fits in, fits in very well. But uh, that was really, it was a great uh, sort of in the, the third act of the, the documentary, it was a really great to see. Uh, you kind of channel all of all of your your talents into something that whenever you're getting kids excited about uh, you know storytelling or, or reading or any of that is is very powerful. Well, I'll tell you what I I absolutely love kids and uh, it was always a dream of mine to have kids and there were always children and nieces and nephews and uh, you know in my life and. Uh, to have the opportunity to do story time, imagination station at a theater live and see their sparkling eyes the first time literally set my, my heart, you know, racing of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I, and at first I was like, well, I don't really know what, you know, exactly what does this mean and, and what direction, uh, would I take it in? And so I was, uh, Excited to work with uh, Blackfriars Theater and and since doing uh, Imagination Station from home, we're we're approaching our hundredth episode of uh, Storytime Live on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, right from home with Mr. Davis. And you know, during the pandemic, to be able to provide very, very much like you mentioned that Mr. Rogers experience in that. Yes, it's fun and colorful, but it's it's honest. Uh, we might talk about real things that are happening in 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 the world, and uh, so the dream, as it's as it's explored at the end of the film, is to take Imagination Station and have a Mister Rogers slash Pee Wee's Playhouse kind of take on on a children's television show, combining that you know in Mrs. Kasha Davis's neighborhood. And uh, and present that on um, on uh, Netflix or something to that effect. And so far, knock on wood, we've got some traction. We have some things that have been submitted, and uh, you know how that goes. We're waiting to see what 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 will happen. But that is an ultimate dream for me to be able to do to do that work. You know, it it takes a rare kind of talent to. Uh have the kind of personality that gets kids wanting to, to sit down, but then also to kind of be able to sort of maybe not even flip the switch, but just, just along on a parallel line, just be level with them and speak to a level. That's something that, uh, you know, kids need and, and, you know, whether it's Mr. Rogers neighborhood or, or Sesame street or all sorts of stuff like time and time again, we've, we've, it's been kind of proven that, you know, kids, kids are, kids are smarter than you think they are. <laughs> yes, they do. And they, they know what's going on, right? Yeah. One of the things that I, I really love about watching um, Mrs. Kasha Davis do drag story hour and imagination station is just getting to see, you know, I would be filming, we, we do a, uh, 
a, a club gig, a brunch and an imagination station in like a two day, like, you know, sort of frenzy. And it was amazing to see the switch of like the type of improvisation that one has to do when they're hosting at a, at a club. Um, and then the next morning sort of switching to, you know, how, how to improv and play with, with kids, you know, like, uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis always asks the kids, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? It's not, what do you want to be? It's, it's, what are you going to be? Um, and then the things they say, like Mrs. Kasha Davis just has to roll with, you know, so someone <laughs> wants to be a unicorn, someone wants to be a, you know, you know, doing the weather on TV. And then another person just, it's in the film. They just say, I want to be a Gruffalo. Uh, <laughs> and Mrs. Kasha Davis says, you know, Gruffalo, oh, I was I was just that last night or something like that. And so, you know, it, it really requires a taking that sort of skill that's built up in, in years of, of improv and, and performance in clubs and being able to kind of adapt and adjust to how, how to cleverly, um, you know, engage kids. Um, yeah, it was just amazing to see that that switch. Well, thank you. And I'll tell you, you know, I remember back in, in college, I, my favorite was children's theater. Uh, and I majored in theater. And when we would have the spring children's theater, it was so much fun to, to hear them. Believe, they just believe everything. You know, I, this is so magical. And they also figure out, you know, that's not real. You know, they know what's, what, what's sort of happening. And um, they're just so magically tuned in, which I which I love, but it's, it's also interesting too, with the live audience, you have the, ch the child that you're interacting with, and then you have the parents that you're also getting the opportunity to entertain at the same time. And so while they're thrilled to see their children interacting and participating and interested to hear what they're going to say, it's fun too, to, to find ways to get them, you know, laughing and really dreaming too, because Children of all ages, I think, benefit from story time. I think it's uh, something as as a, as we know, children's books are written for the parents, uh, it's for them to guide them in talking about a subject, and so then we can broach different subjects and different topics together. You know, all, all ages. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. That's very very important to. Uh... You know, par parents are not going to want to gravitate towards something that is like making them want to pull their teeth out while they're watching it. And I, we, we, we see that a lot with uh, movies that come out that make kind of no effort on that for, for the parents. So it's good to see you kind of attuned to all of that. And as, as uh, I've been reading in the trades just about how uh, kids TV is sort of lining up to be like the next like big major front on the streaming war. So. Uh, it's great that you've all got all of that going on, which kind of ties into the, the final question that I normally ask people, which is uh, how they're doing during COVID. But uh, you did kind of answer that. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's it's reassuring to uh, hear how, how you've been, uh, you know, making, making the most. I know how hard it's got to be. I live three blocks away from a drag queen bar and uh, I've seen like with outdoor dining just recently. I think it reopened just this week, but just how they've had to modify on the fly and do all of this stuff just to, to, to scrape by in this uh, hor horrific time. But uh, otherwise, like uh, you, you, you both, you both doing okay in the pandemic <laughs> messy world. 
Um, I mean, I have a, a two month old baby at home. <laughs> so uh, I had a kid during the pandemic and finished this film. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I will say um, I, I'm also a, a professor at Carnegie Mellon University in, in Pittsburgh and being able to work remotely uh, while pregnant and also doing post-production on the film. You know, I don't, I don't want to say that, that, you know, thank, thanks COVID. I would never, ever say that, but, um, you know, there were certain aspects of an entire industry having to figure out, you know, how to work remotely, um, you know, did make certain things, um, in the post-production process, um, a little bit more accommodating to, um, a, a very pregnant woman. So, <laughs> But um, yeah, we're figuring it out. Um, and certainly, you know, thinking about the exciting possibilities of taking this film to, you know, theaters with live audiences, you know, it's, 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 it feels a little different when you're like, woo, film festival premiere on your laptop or <laughs> something. Um, you know, we worked really hard on that sound mix. I'm sure it sounds great in your computer speakers, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I'm looking forward to when it's when it's possible to, you know, see how how live audiences react to the story. I mean, some of us go the extra mile and we plug the computer into our TV with the HDMI cable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Mr. Davis has some kinds of things and, and booms and, and, and I don't even know what that happens, but it sounds great. Do you have um, a subwoofer? Well, maybe, I think. <laughs> They're just things I dust that are around the television. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the pandemic has really hit the entertainment and the um, service industry so hard. And, uh, you know, I live... Obviously, I'm married to someone whose job has not changed other than the, lo the location of where he does his work. So his office is now home. So my husband has that, you know, situation. But I have friends who are not only full-time performers who have had to change gears and do uh, other work, and then others um, that are, you know, have been on unemployment, you know. So we know that, we know that story. In, in my perspective, I, you know, it gave me a lot of time for reflection and focus on you know, looking at, quote unquote, what would the workhorse queen do? Well, I get to work. You know, I find other avenues uh, of, of entertaining. And, I, and I, I've said to other performers who got real nervous, uh, and, you know, because a lot of us chat with one another and try to, to, to bounce ideas off of one another, uh, drag race or not, is just that, you know, we have this unique opportunity where the, lev the level field is, the playing field is leveled. You know, everyone is home. Really, no one is touring. Very, very, very few. And uh, very few clubs and nightclubs are open. So, you know, it's that chance where you don't have to compare. You know, we're all on the same, in that same spot. So what will you do with it, you know? And, uh, and that's tough for some people. You know, it's tough to think of, I don't want to dance around in my basement, you know, half drag in front of my laptop. Um, and, and, but then yet others have found ways to do podcasts and, and other content, uh, you know, online. So it's interesting to watch how an artist, uh, navigates this, 
this time. And I'm sure it will be documented <laughs> at some point and talked about in the future. Yeah, it's definitely it's weird uh, with this uh, this living history moment. But um, I, as somebody who covered uh, forty features at Sundance and uh, is still able to kind of walk around, I didn't totally melt into the couch. Uh, online <laughs> film festivals are are different. I've been accredited for some that were absolutely just kind of like you you forget they're even happening. And then, uh, you know, there's ones that are great. And uh, I know we, we've had some of the other uh, uh, Slime Dance people on. Uh, we had Troy and Ethan who are working on uh, sort of the, the virtual party front. And uh, seeing how that kind of turned out for, for Sundance uh, gives hope for this uh, this vir- virtual future that we're in. But um, for everybody listening, I, I really uh, recommend Workhorse Queen. It's, it's a fascinating documentary. Uh that, that really kind of carves out its own uh, important niche in, in this uh, sort of growing, uh, I was about to say growing subculture of uh, LGBTQ films, but growing subculture of drag queen LGBTQ films. So that's, uh, it's, it's so great to have uh, so many different films to watch, and I highly recommend it to everybody. Uh, Angela and Mrs. Kasha Davis, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you very much. And good luck with uh, Slime Dance. And uh, to everybody listening, I know we have uh, a couple more Slime Dance interviews on the horizon. Stay tuned. Be sure to check out all the films. Thank you so much for watching, uh, listening, not watching. And <laughs> we will see you next time. 